Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. Now, Tim, today we're talking about what I consider to be a very important subject, which is all about our emotional vocabulary. Sometimes we have emotions, but it's difficult to know how to communicate those, especially for young people today. No doubt. In fact, I would confess, I don't think I had language for my emotions until I was a young man. Mm. So all the way through K-12, no, no, no slight to anybody. I just, I was growing up many, many, many years ago. Did I mention many? And uh, <laughs> we, guys just, did, especially male, males, yeah. just didn't. And, yeah. and, and maybe females were a step or two ahead. I think we've gotten better. Yep. But boy, this is an important topic today. You know what, Andrew? I love the story that Grace told us. Grace is a teammate. She works with you in yeah. the content department. But she was saying, as a young student, I think she was in the first grade. Yes. Her teacher, Miss Novorowski, had an emotional word table. Love so it. So this is way back. Yeah. But um, she would ask the students whenever they were experiencing an extreme emotion, they were feeling a, an extreme emotion. And by the way, positive or negative. Yeah. So it wasn't just angry kids or yes. happy kids. Uh, whatever it was, she would read their face and realize they're... And she would direct them over. And Grace even said, I remember going over uh-huh. and picking out from that big puzzle of words, words that would help me identify how I'm feeling. Mm. And she would literally pick one or two or maybe even three words. Isn't that brilliant? Yes. I think adults could use that, actually. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason this is such an important subject is because overall, uh, vocabulary is decreasing. Yeah. It's kind of an interesting phenomenon, but oftentimes kids just don't have the right words for the yeah. situations. So if you look back at history um, from about the 1950s when we started measuring yeah. this, for about a 40-year period of this survey that they did over time, uh, a pattern began to emerge. Uh, correct scores rose from the generations born around 1900 to the generations born around 1950, and then those same scores that were kind of staying flat for 50 years uh, started to drop off. Interesting. And, and what's interesting is also is that the amount of kids getting A's also rose over that time. Yes. So we have yeah. as a generation who's getting smarter and smarter and smarter, at least on their tests, while at the same time their vocabulary is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. So their inability to communicate what those thoughts and feelings are may be going down when yes. they may be having even more thoughts and feelings, especially with all the exposure they have to smartphones and 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 the experience around the world. Absolutely. I think Miss uh, Novorowski is a great example yeah. of, of the kind of leadership that's needed today amongst, I amongst do students. So Andrew, I'm going to flip this today. I'm going to, I'm going to do more of that question asking, and I want you to just share some of the stuff you've been reading and researching and some of the ideas you've gotten. So I want you first to talk about an example of a school who did this well. Absolutely. In fact, this was actually the the reading about, finding out about this school was the thing that sort of set me down uh, on this journey. So um, two years ago, uh, as we record this here in October 2021, uh, Bruegel Middle School in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, uh, two years ago, they were in a whole lot of trouble. Uh, They were one of the state's lowest performing, poorest, and most diverse schools. Mm -hmm. 92% of the students in their school were from economically disadvantaged situations, and 87% of them were minorities. And the community around Bruegel Middle School was trying to create change and and correct things, but it was to no avail. They just couldn't figure it out. 
if you fast forward to two years later, this year, the school is now a raving success story. And actually, when you look at the things that they change, and I want to talk about a couple of those, they all come down to how the staff was communicating. The vocabulary that both they used with students and also invited students to use back with them. And basically what I would say is this is making the case that helping students develop in particular an emotional vocabulary can absolutely transform the experience that they have in the classroom. Yeah. And their story, I think, was written up in U.S. News and World Report, wasn't it? Absolutely. Not? Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's where I first heard about it. That's exciting. So I want you to help us dig into this as we, as we dialogue here. Um, let's talk about speaking the language of emotion. What does that mean? Absolutely. So um, in the actual interview that they have with some of the leaders of the school, and it was actually the leaders of the school combined with the local United Way kind of partnered together to address this problem. So um, Beth Tomlinson, who was... Um, the director of education for that local United Way was one of the people who talked about what was their strategy. So here's what she said. She said, kids that live in a constant, chaotic, hurtful, frightening environment, they feel stuck in survival mode. Yeah. And so their stress hormones are going all the time, right? So what she said is that this stress that they're experiencing is literally changing the way that their brain develops. And that was kind of the first step in realizing uh, that when a kid is emotionally reactive, that the source of that emotional reactivity is not their poor behavior or poor yeah. character all the time. Sometimes it might be, but maybe, especially for a, in a school like this, in a situation like this, it's an acknowledgement that the kid is probably acting or reacting from all of the stressors mm-hmm. that are going on yeah. in their life. So the United Way in Bruegel started to implement some changes in the way that they handled, in particular, student behavior. So it's uh, recognizing when a student behaves in a certain way, how are we reacting to it? So one of the first practices they implemented was a new language when they were trying to gauge student emotions. So here's what they said. Staff and students alike were commonly, uh, they, what they would do is they would shout out numbers meant to gauge their mental health. So they would literally had a ranking from one to 10. The, yeah. the lower numbers are good. The higher numbers are bad. So if you said, I was a three, that means you're probably having a good day. Uh, it means you're calm, you're ready to learn. But if you were a six, that might mean you need to go spend some time in what they, they created a space called the Peace Corner, which was literally just a quiet space wow. reserved for stressed students. So if you're higher than a five, they would want to send you to that. Now, um, when the students slipped into what they called the red zones, they had new terminology for that, meaning that they said they were a 7 through 10. This means that immediate action would need to be taken, wow. and the school would staff mental health professionals who were kind of ready to work with these students. Now, Andrew, let me ask you a quick question. Would this just be the mere subjective evaluation of the kid, or would it also be the teacher saying, I think we have a red zone would it yeah. be both? I think it was a little bit of a combination, yeah. Yeah. right? Uh, especially when you felt like a, a young person was not really able to communicate yeah. that. One teacher might say, hey, I've got a seven in the classroom here. Could we get Miss So-and-so to yeah. come down and yeah. uh, work with that student? So yeah, it worked both ways. And that was what was really cool is they all of a sudden had a very easy to understand, very fast language uh, in order to communicate where we were at emotionally. 
Uh, what I really celebrate about the example of Bruegel and, and, and the way that they uh, were going about this is that they realized that their behavioral issues, their low classroom engagement, were often not caused by the students themselves, yeah. right? But they're rather a result of traumatic, stressful events in that young person's life. So once the staff and faculty come to realize this truth, they can then teach their students to communicate, hey, this is what's really going on. So in a moment of personal trauma or upheaval, uh, a student would have built what we would call emotional literacy, and that emotional literacy would be the difference, honestly, between them getting the help they need and getting sent to the principal's office. And so that's why this became so important. I can see students' success rates going up if for no other reason that there's this checkpoint, yeah, emotional checkpoint. The things that were tripping them up weren't I don't understand spelling or I don't understand history or whatever. It's, yeah. it's stuff going on inside of me, the feelings, not the thoughts. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Love it. So uh, let's talk about this term that you and I have come to enjoy and appreciate, emotional literacy. And yes. this is what you're talking about. What is emotional literacy? Yeah. So um, there's been some really great researchers who have covered this, who I got to read as uh, I was kind of working on pulling this all together. Dr. Joseph Gale and Dr. Philip Strain, they're the ones who uh, really have done the most research on the term emotional literacy. So this is how they define it. They say emotional literacy is the ability to recognize, label, and understand the feelings in oneself and in other people. Hmm. So it's literally the ability to see it go, oh, that's anger, right? And I am the one who's feeling angry. Or, or Susie over yeah. there is the one who's feeling angry. So it might start with self-awareness. I'm first aware, but literacy says, and now I can name it. Yes. And if you can name it, you can tame it. Haven't we heard that before? Yeah. Good. Yes, absolutely. Now, here's one of the reasons this is so important is this essential life skill they found in their research is often lacking, right? And I probably don't have to tell that to all the folks who are leading out there. You're immediately going, "Uh, yeah, if I could get John (laughs) in my classroom to do exactly what we're talking about here, I would be able to get around some of the behavioral issues I'm experiencing. But the reality is, in their research, they also found that it's disproportionately lacking in specific student populations. So children with disabilities, and in particular, children uh, from low-income families often have not developed this emotional literacy to the same degree um, as other folks. Um, I don't want to turn this into anything but what it is, a very meaningful discussion, but I'm thinking about the kids, my two kids, that grew up in our home. As you know, they grew up with a dad who has many words. (laughs) My wife is. You saying, got a word or two. That's right. Yeah. My my my. Uh, <laughs> I was just talking to a publisher, and he said, "How many books you've written?" I said, "Well, uh, thirty-seven. And I said, "My wife explains it this way: I am not a man of few words." But here's the good news: <laughs> Bethany and Jonathan, you know my kids, yes. grew up, and they the one good thing I, I can say one good thing happened. We we really gave them language, and they were my son and daughter able to describe. And I think it did help them navigate, even when they had bouts with depression and anxiety. They were able to name it, and at least we were able to address it right away. This is so crucial and yet so simple. Um, anyway, absolutely. I want you to head back to where you were going. No, I this just... is actually where you just were is exactly where I'm going. So if you think about why is this so important, think about it this way. In fact, the, this is what they said in their study. The uh, discriminating among effective states, such as anger, sadness, frustration, and happiness, mm. requires a vocabulary of feeling words. Yeah. So we're getting back to the example of grace, mm. right? Yeah. Uh, the feeling, that vocabulary allows me 
to speak. So like other forms of literacy, the richer your vocabulary, the more rewarding the experience of communication is, right? I have more words to explain all of the plethora of feelings that I have. And that's the thing is no matter what background a student comes from, whether a low SES or high SES, everybody feels a very wide range of emotions, right? The difference is not I feel more than other people. The difference is I'm able to communicate those feelings versus other people who can't. Uh, So in other words, you might say, while it's important to be able to communicate with numbers, like in the case of uh, the Bruegel uh, students, they found numbers to be able to communicate. It's actually even better to have words that go along with the moment. Yeah. So can I give you a quick example of yeah, this? Yeah, please This is really it. helpful as I was thinking through. So think with me about the difference. So imagine a student is in a classroom and you're trying to identify their feelings. So think about the difference between the two words, angry and frustrated, okay? So if a student has both of those two words in their emotional vocabulary, right, and they're able to communicate those, the ability of that seventh grade student, say, to, de- to delineate between those two words with their teacher uh, in an emotional moment, so emotions are, are high, yeah, yeah. could actually change the way the teacher takes action in that moment, right? If the student, um, for instance, when the student is angry, they might the teacher might realize they need a moment to calm down in a yeah. quiet environment yeah. if the anger is actually what's going on. But if the student was able to communicate, you know what, I'm just really frustrated right now, they likely, the problem is that they don't have clarity on what Mm -hmm. they're supposed to be doing with that assignment that they're working on. And if they're unable to communicate the difference between those two things, the teacher would then be unable to give them the right action for the right moment. Uh, You know what I'm thinking of right now is during the quarantine in 2020, um, coming out of that year, uh, Cobb County Schools, we have dear friends in that in that county, uh, gave an award to some high school students. These were student-led initiatives who came up with colors to identify how they were doing. So yeah. they're meeting remotely, and that's hard in itself, but they could put up red or yellow or blue, but each of those colors represented, uh, I'm not doing too well today, but I am here just don't call on me if that's okay, or do call on me. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm ready to go. Let's go. But th- this is the same kind of thing. It's identification and then labeling, identification, then labeling. And boy, does this liberate us when we're able to articulate. I think for me, it's been great. I don't think I've had long bouts with horrible, uh, frustrating times because I've been able to communicate it to yeah. my wife or to you as a colleague or to a friend. Um, it's just... Listeners, we've got to help students get this. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Andrew, I'd love for you, I want to jump ahead too much, but let's jump to what do we do? Yeah, I'd love to. So let's talk about increasing our students' emotion-based vocabulary in the classroom and maybe beyond. Absolutely, yeah. So I've got three steps. They're pretty basic, but I also think they're pretty essential. And so I don't want us to go, maybe step three is going to look like, oh, that's the real good step, but let's not forget about step one. So I just want to say that as a little asterisk next to these steps. Because step one is a little bit basic. Here's step one. Focus first on your relationships with your students. Yeah. And here's the thing. You may feel like you've already got this down. That's totally great. But I would just take it. I would would challenge you to take a second and just ask the question, how are my relationships with my students? Um, In the report that I mentioned, uh, Dr. Gale and Dr. Strain, uh, it was actually called Enhancing Emotional Vocabulary in Young Children. This is one of the things that they said. Uh, For emotional vocabulary teaching to be effective, adults must first spend the time necessary to build positive relationships with children. 
Within this foundational context of a warm and responsive relationship with children, teachers can maximize their influence to enhance the mm-hmm. emotional vocabulary. In other words, trying to talk to students about increasing their emotional vocabulary without having a relationship is, a, is basically doomed to failure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's for all the obvious reasons, right? Whenever you're trying to help develop, push your students forward, all those kinds of things, uh, you definitely need a relationship. But because this is about emotion, it's essential that trust and relationship is built. No doubt. In fact, I would say if you are building that relationship, they're going to feel safer to articulate a thought or a feeling, either one. But that's, that's that safety that we're talking about, and that comes only through relationships. Absolutely. And this probably goes without saying, but we're coming out in the wake of the pandemic. Yeah. I think it's important for us to recognize, in fact, we have had a, a swarm of partners, principals, teachers, yeah. leaders of all kinds tell us we're really struggling with these students coming yeah. back from yeah. uh, the pandemic, struggling with their ability to communicate. They seem frustrated. They seem out of sorts. They don't seem invested or interested. And I just think this is a continuing to mount challenge that we have to recognize. This is probably as important now as it has ever been right. in the last several yeah. decades. Yeah. Good. So that's step one. Take us to number two. Yeah. So this is um, a really good one. In fact, we're kind of following in the um, in the footsteps of Bruegel Middle School, yeah. who I use. But this is uh, quite simple. Step two is check in with words and emojis. I love it to see how they're feeling. Uh, so with teachers modeling the way, it's important to begin using emotion-related words in regular conversations in the classroom. And by the way, it can't hurt to define those terms as you use them mm-hmm. as well. So if you're with a group of sixth or seventh graders, use terms like frustrated, but stop and go, hey, can anyone tell me what frustrated means? And kind of take a mm-hmm. second to define that. It's very important. So using a check-in system with your students on a regular daily basis, using numbers, words, and or emojis. I actually often like to combine these things. So it's good to ask a student, hey, where are you on a scale of one to 10? And then can you use one word that describes how you're feeling right now? Um, Lots of uh, teachers I've seen, they actually, maybe instead of a words wheel, they'll have an emoji wheel uh, Mm -hmm. up in their classroom. That works. And and just point to which emoji you're kind of feeling right now. Um, And I really think that. Some... uh, I think this is great. Some teachers will begin each class period by asking students to hold up a number that represents how they're feeling. Others will ask you to point to that emotion word or point to that emoji. Um, and you can even do a more robust um, strategy like um, Plutchik's Wheel of Emotion. He's got quite huh. a last name there. Yes. But he actually um, created this wheel that is very exhaustive and very helpful. Um, and if you feel like your students are in a more advanced emotional place, uh, that's probably one of the most complex and, and really detailed um, uh, emotion wheels that's, that are out there. But whatever you use, I think finding some way to regularly check in with your students is really what step two is all about. Yeah. Andrew, let me tell you why I think this is vital and not just vital to students, but vital to faculty, staff, coaches, principals. Um, I'm going to paraphrase T.S. Eliot, who said something like this. When we don't know or we don't know enough, our feelings or our emotions, he said, can masquerade as thoughts. Mm-hmm. Let me say that again. Yeah. When we don't know or we don't know enough, so we're in a sense, a, a time of uncertainty, our emotions can masquerade as thoughts. So we as adults can either level a judgment. This is what you do. I've done this before myself. Level a judgment as a thought. Like, I've thought about that. No, no, you're feeling something. Yeah. And it would have been far better to say, you know what, I got to be honest. I got to be honest. I'm frustrated right now. 
and now we're honest. Yep. And now we can say, I feel like you're an idiot, but you know, <laughs> but it's really this. I'm, I'm totally kidding. But um, I'm just saying both students and adults need to be able to um, make sure that our emotions aren't masquerading. We're able to label them as yeah, emotions. Absolutely. They are just as real as thoughts. We have put down emotions in our American Western civilization in the 21st century. And I think we need to realize our minds are producing all kinds of things, ideas and thoughts, as well as feelings and emotions. Absolutely. All right, let's do one last step you've, you've recommended. Yeah, so this is um, probably my favorite one. And again, step one and two is super important. But step three is kind of more advanced. Utilize scenarios to help them apply their emotional vocabulary. Okay, talk about that. Yeah, so while it's important that students are aware of and can communicate their own emotions in the moment, it's also essential for them to be able to recognize emotions in others mm. and to communicate with those folks as well, right? Yeah. So step one and step two are really about me me communicating what's going on inside of me. Again, super important, and that those are really do need to come first. But what we're doing here is basically, uh, imagine doing this, utilize a scenario uh, exercise in order to build uh, a skill inside of your students. So give them a scenario in which there's a conflict with a peer or another adult. So you would say, imagine you're in this situation and then your peer yeah. says this, yeah. right? And ask them how they might respond. Next, what you would do is change the emotion of the other person in that scenario and then ask the student to discuss how they might adjust their reaction mm. based on, or their words based yeah. on that situation, right? Uh, and what you're doing is uh, trying to see if a student will respond differently based on yeah. that. We're recognizing, oh, when I see anger and the, the person walks in and says, where were you last night? Versus yeah. I see um, confusion in their, yeah. their uh, emotion and they say, where were you last night? I'm going to react differently mm -hmm. based on that scenario. Um, so a, a student may respond differently, for instance, to a peer who is sad than one who is playful, uh, even if the situation in which that person is, is showing that emotion is unchanged. So after that activity, it's a really great opportunity to talk about how the emotions of others changes or shapes the way that we engage with them. Yeah. So you mentioned the very, very, very beginning of this conversation about Bruegel uh, Middle School. Would you talk about just... Just to whet the appetite of our listeners, what are some of the results of their ability to do this? Yeah, so I mentioned two years ago, it was a disaster story. Today, it's a success story. So yeah. here's what they found. Two years later, today, the number of failing students dropped from 12% to 7%. That's measurable. That's a, quite a measurable stat. The number of office discipline referrals plummeted by 39%. Wow. And the average student GPA rose from 2.17 to 2.51%. Um, even further, out-of-school suspensions dropped by 17%. Wow, that's, that's just good news. And I know they wouldn't say this is the only thing that did it, but I think this started the journey. Absolutely. And we've got to take this journey too. Absolutely. Andrew, this is wonderful. Um, I'm going to let you close this out in just a second, but I was thinking uh, about a story yeah, as you were please. talking. Uh, my wife watches a number of uh, reality TV shows, but one of them she really loves is Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> and Derek Huff is one of the judges right now. He, he danced to several trophies in the yeah. past, but he's a well-known. He's got a Vegas show now, and my wife wants to go. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> it's Derek, coming up in yeah, your that's future, right. It's I coming feel. up in the future, yes. yeah. But Derek Huff was talking about this very subject. Okay. He would say, I, as a professional dancer, I would have this star, this Hollywood celebrity, mm -hmm. and they were not a dancer, so they would get very nervous and, oh, my gosh, I'm anxious, I'm, you know, whatever. And so one particular dancer he was dancing with one season just kept saying, I'm just, I'm just feeling so anxious about going out there in front of the public, you know, millions of viewers. 
And he noticed she kept saying anxious, and he said, all right, I want to change your vocabulary. This Mm. is an adult to an adult. (laughs) I love it. But he said, whenever you feel like you're feeling anxious, say the words, I'm feeling excited. Yeah. Now, he said it's the same chemicals. It's this one's just negative leaning and one's positive leaning. Yes. But the same, but you know, when you say, I'm excited, I'm still feeling emotion, but now I'm going, yeah. Yeah. Let's get out there and do I'm, this. I'm recontextualizing those butterflies in my stomach that's right now. That's right. And yeah. that's what I think is the key. That's just leading yourself before you try to lead anybody else. May this be our, our story too. Absolutely. If they Good. can do it on Dancing with the Stars, we can do it in the classroom. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? Right. Well, I love that. Tim, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. Well, thanks for sharing today. This has been great. Yeah. Awesome. Well, uh, being able to communicate your emotions is one of those all-important life skills. And if you are looking for a way to communicate life skills like uh, learning to communicate with an emotional vocabulary, emotional literacy, and all of those things, um, we actually have a tool. We're pretty fond of it. We call it Habitudes. Uh, Habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. And what we do is we use images, stories, uh, and uh, metaphors in order to communicate really important life skills, life principles that students can really engage with. So we actually use those things to start a conversation. So if you're looking for a way to communicate and build some of these skills inside of your students, whether you're at home, in the classroom, uh, on the practice field, whatever your context, uh, head on over to growingleaders.com. You can find out more about Habitudes. In particular, I would point you towards Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning. Uh, We have a middle school and a high school edition of that, which builds these really important life skills we've been talking about today. So if you want to find out more about Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning, go to growingleaders.com slash S-E-L. You can find out more. Uh, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that helps get the word out about what we're doing here. You can also quite literally get the word out by passing this podcast along to a friend who you think may benefit from hearing it. Uh, if you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, people you want us to interview, subjects you think we should talk about, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you again so much for asking some great questions today and telling us a few great stories. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.